Molten Salad Season 1, Episode 19. Welcome to the Molten Salad Podcast. Thanks for joining. I'm James. We're ordinary Americans, living the right way, doing the right thing. But 2020 has turned our world upside down. Toxic dualism is filling the air, and we're caught right in the middle. But there's got to be a way out somehow. I'm a lawyer, so people see me as an intellectual handyman. What can I do to help? Join me as I talk to my friends and learn from them as I explore a third way out. If I have to lose my pride or be open minded when I wasn't before, then so be it. This is our society and this is our time to do something positive. We hope to start small and end big. This is the Molten Salad Podcast. Continuing my conversation with Iris on liberalism in 2020 and beyond, recorded October 28th, 2020. All right. Well, switching to the abortion topic,、uh, do the Democrats still need to advocate for abortion、uh, up to the last day of pregnancy? Isn't that a little extreme? I think that it being considered extreme is absolutely propaganda, if only because there is no woman the day before her pre- like the day before she's supposed to give birth. There is no woman in this world that is that's just like changed her mind, doesn't feel like being a mom anymore. This isn't happening. Just kidding. Like the day before the anticipated birth, you know, that baby's got a name. It's got, you know, half the room is probably set up. It's got a favorite outfit it doesn't know about yet. There's. Up until the last day of pregnancy, if anything, that's to me, that's mercy to be able to do that instead of forcing a woman to carry a stillborn to term or risking the life of the mother or the child going further. I, up to the last day, I think that's just a bunch of legal jargon that I'm sure you guys know a lot about. Um, that's just there to make it easier for this woman and her doctor to make this incredibly difficult choice.、Mm-hmm. You think it's a, do you think it should be a goal to reduce the total number of abortions overall? I think in order to reduce the number of abortions, we need to increase what available health care we have. It's, I, I think abortion is, it's never an easy choice for anyone to make, but there's so many different reasons to make it. And so many of those reasons are healthcare based, is whether or not they'll be able to get the care and the medical treatment and the support that they'll need to get through that pregnancy that, or, Even just the cost of childbirth, having babies is so expensive. It's just this little financial grenade in a woman's uterus that's going to go off and be so expensive tens、it's, of thousands of dollars. It sounds like a lot、no、of complications. fear. It sounds like a lot of fear, and it seems like fear is the number one driver of abortion. So, if there was a way to reduce all of these fears, I A great way to reduce those fears would just be adequate health care.、Mm-hmm. And, you know, to push the feminist issue, 
you know, adequate healthcare, women being able to take maternity leave, fathers being able to take paternity leave, because brand new babies are a lot of work, and access to childcare, access to different support systems and social systems in place, making sure that that child has food, has clothes, has a roof over its head. I don't, I never, I really don't think that abortion's ever the first choice. And there's so many things that we could be doing as a society to make it easier for a woman to choose to keep that child, to raise that child, instead of putting every single obstacle in front of her and then saying, how dare you abort this baby? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's talk about, yeah, go ahead, John. James, you know, I, I remember you and I had a lot of talks about uh, abortion uh, in the past. And I remember that you, your stance was very clear. It was, we needed to have a compassion for the woman uh, in, in that case, because it was very, it was a difficult situation. And I, I would say that, uh, I, I, I mean, don't let me speak for you, but I, I think you were pro-choice uh, back then and probably even now. But I, I, I remember you always pushing that point and it was very important to you um, when we had those discussions. Uh, it seems very much what Iris is saying is like, hey, let's make uh, pregnancy and motherhood a less of a terrifying thing for a 14 year old girl to make or whatever. Right. And uh, I, I mean, is that still true with you today, James? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm not pro-life the way uh, many in the church would want me to be. Um, I uh, don't get me wrong. I would love to see a world in which uh, there were less abortions, perhaps no abortions, but I think a, an absolute ban today is extremely draconian and lacks compassion, and it does not take into account the, the human story that is behind every pregnancy, and it does nothing to address the fear that women face uh, with pregnancy that we've just talked about. Rather than try to impose a, an absolute abortion ban, I think the way to reduce abortions would be to expand the size of our community, whether it be through charity or the public sector, uh, to address these fears so that um, women are equipped uh, going forward with their pregnancies. Absolutely. There's, and, uh, and I'm right there with you is, I mean, I'm pro-choice completely, but part of that is, but, or most of that is just, I want women to be able to have all of the options available to them without, you know, crippling financial debt or their own health faltering or being able to keep their career, whatever it may be, it, it's just so important to be able to change our society to instead of attacking, attacking the symptom, work on different causes and different aspects that could make it easier to make or not make that choice. Yeah, and, and the Catholic Church is going to get angry at me, but study after study does show that um, access to contraception does help reduce abortion. 
I mean, even the Catholic Church can only have so much to say because abstinence is, according to them, only 99% at, you know, absolute. So it's really hard for me to give them a lot of leeway on that one. Mm-hmm. Let's switch to uh, let's switch to race. Um, you know, uh, it was just a while ago, um, George Floyd and the riots that had ensued and Black Lives Matter. Um, it felt like the protesters all wanted different things. Um, what, what do you want to see out of these protests? What change do you want to see? I'd like to see the removal of qualified immunity. I'd, I'd like to see police officers be... I would like to see them held to the standard that they're asking to be held to. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like it if police brutality against minorities wasn't such a common concept. I, I do believe in defunding the police in that not every emergency phone call requires someone to show up with a gun. I, I think if there's somebody, if 911 is called because there's a homeless man sleeping in front of a storefront, then that call should be de- redirected to someone from social services, someone that can help them find somewhere to sleep that night, get something to eat, and especially because there's such a huge correlation between like on a Venn diagram, the combination of homelessness and drug addiction and mental health, it's almost a circle. Yeah. So having trained qualified people to show up and help that specifically, I, I, I think that would be better. Oh, Iris. So I don't know if you've been watching the debates uh, when it came to uh, the crime bill, right? The 1994 crime bill that was passed under Bill Clinton and how uh, supposedly uh, Biden, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton were calling um, uh, the super predators out there. And they... uh, it looks like the narrative is being changed where the crime bill really increased the budgets uh, for the militarization, the current militarization of the uh, police, uh, local police. And it's in, and obviously, you know, those people, Clinton's and, and, and Biden being a Democrat. Um, what do you have to say when it comes to that narrative? And uh, is this, uh, do we accept that they said that they made a huge mistake in their career and then, oh, that's it? Or uh, how, do we, how do we take that in today? Well, I mean, I think you just proved my point why I was saying Biden's just a diet Republican. Um, that's, not, that's not news. That's, that's since 1994. He's been pushing a very, very specific plan for our United States. And I understand that it is, 
a fantastic PR move for him to say right now that he regrets it. He wants to make changes, uh, you know, a week and a half before the election. That's a great time to say those things. <laughs> I would just, it's on the list of things that should he be elected, I feel that's on the list of like, we need to hold him accountable. I I absolutely believe that people should accept their mistakes, admit them, learn from them, and do better. Everybody should do that all the time. Figure out what you did wrong, fix it, do better. But to me, it means nothing until I see some legislation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, was it wise to destroy property? I know some people on the left were saying, you know, um, destroying property is nothing compared to the lives that are destroyed. But, but some of these businesses are also owned by minorities. Well, I mean, I was just reading an article yesterday morning about how there was a guy, or I'm not going to use his name because I don't want to give him notoriety. There was a guy that was arrested for being the one convincing people to start shooting up the Minneapolis police precinct. And he showed up specifically to make the protest look bad. And that was just yesterday's. And they've been coming in constantly, report after report of the violence and the looting and the property destruction. So much of it was outside influences there to just remove all value of the protest. And it's incredibly frustrating because there have been protests in our country almost every single day since the end of May. And almost all of them have been peaceful. But we hear about one Fire. business that burned up. You went. You went to several protests, and and the one that you went uh, had a lot to do with uh, James and I. Actually, <laughs> it was uh, the "You Cannot Burn the Mall" protest, yes. um, where the uh, Chinese, eighty-year-old uh, uh, Chinese grandma, got burned uh, uh, by somebody, and uh, uh, the guy China Mac organized these uh, these protests and. And uh, can you just give us a little experience? Because I don't think there was any burning of businesses, <laughs> right? I, if you I, could give I us an insight. I did attend the They Can't Burn Us All protest in LA. And there was a gathering at a park where we had a few speakers talk about their experiences with hate crimes from being Asian a lot of which is based on the rhetoric coming from our current administration against Asians because of the coronavirus pandemic and just hate crime after hate crime. And it was a two mile march, I believe, in the middle of the day. And we closed down some streets by walking through the middle of them for those whole two miles and 
there was no property damage. People, we were passing out water bottles and people weren't even littering. They were making sure, and it, you know, it's downtown LA. So they weren't even going in the trash cans. They were going in the recycle bins. And mm -hmm. it was a peaceful march, peaceful chanting, ended up at another park in Koreatown. And China Mac had a little concert. It was, it was all very, very peaceful. And it was a group of people that want to be heard and want to be noticed. And, and almost, almost every protest I've ever been to has been entirely peaceful. It's people using their First Amendment rights to show up for things that they care about. How did the police react uh, during these peaceful protests? I mean, were they, I mean, when they were chanting anti-police stuff, uh, were the police uh, getting rough and start beating up the people or, or uh, were they supportive and understood that this was the freedom of speech and, and that uh, uh, there's Black Lives Matter, there's All Lives Matter, there's Blue Lives Matter, and then this is just another thing? Or, or was it uh, uh, resentful and, and, and angry? I mean, I would like to know more about the police behavior. The police behavior is consistently jarring because, you know, there was that protest in LA where I think the police just kind of drove by and they're like, eh, it's LA, it's just another day. And they didn't care about the protest or the march or whatever. But then there's, you know, I've been to smaller protests in smaller cities and it's jarring because there will be a wall of police officers fully militarized with artillery and armor that I did not expect a podunk town in the middle of California to have. <laughs> and there they are. And it's, it's really jarring when the protest is peaceful. There's no violence. There's, it's, yeah, it's just the first, you know, our First Amendment rights. And they show up, it's almost like they show up looking for a fight, which I know that's a terrible thing to say out loud. But I mean, I don't show up to protests with like baseball bats and bulletproof vests. So it's really weird to me that they can't just like, if they're going to show up and I understand why the police would want to have a presence, but to me, it's just kind of like, why are you showing up dressed like you're about to go into combat in the middle East? Yeah, this is yeah. a, this is a town of, you know, 10,000. <laughs> Okay, yeah, definitely. You know, you mentioned Trump's rhetoric, and it seems like um, when it comes to Trump, uh, it's kind of like a, uh, <laughs> it, sometimes it looks like a, a toxic dating relationship where nothing he does is good enough. Um, and, uh, you know, I know from, you know, from his perspective, he keeps saying, well, you know, the, the economy has grown, minority unemployment is down, I help fund black colleges, and I reversed the, the crime bill that we talked about earlier. But uh, apparently, that's still not enough. And the major reason is his rhetoric. So 
you know, Iris, besides resign and die, what else does he need to do to shake <laughs> off the perception that he's racist and sexist? I don't want him to resign and die. I want him to go properly through the judicial system. <laughs> but <laughs> I see that's the thing though, is even it's really hard to even take the good things he's done at face value. It's one of those like, okay, would you have donated to this historically, you know, black college if you hadn't just talk down about you know different minorities a couple days ago if you weren't being called out on it would you do anything um so it's it's really hard to even take it at face value and then even looking at things like oh he increased the economy well the economy isn't something that can be done overnight it's it's years and years and years and years and years that go into the making. So he, a lot of what he brags about is stuff that he inherited, which- He credited Obama oh, man. for recovery. Oh man, that sentence, uh, that sentence was a lot deeper than I intended it. Um, you credit Obama for the recovery. I, I credit Obama for the recovery. And I, from there, you know, there was a lot that W did that made Obama look good for his first year or so in office too. Mm -hmm. Because there's, it's so hard to measure progress in the moment. Yeah. Until you look back and see, oh, that change, you know, four or five years ago is what got us to where we are at this point. So you there know? doesn't seem to be a direct answer to the previous question then about what he can do to shake, shake it off. I, I mean, like I said, I would prefer proper due process. Um, the thing is, at this point, his level of rhetoric and the way he's emboldened his base to just go along with it, to just go along with crass, sexist, misogynist, bigoted, everything, it's it's really hard to take it, take any of it seriously or to do anything about it or to even forgive him when he kind of just keeps putting his foot in his mouth. He kind of hmm. just keeps making it worse. So I. So that's why to you a, a Biden victory is crucial because at least even though Biden might not be any better and he says careless things too, at least it represents a uh, reversal back to the last day of Obama. Going back, like we would be regressing four years. Yeah. But I feel that way. I feel that we would be regressing four years going back to Biden. But at least there's, at least what I've learned from Biden based on his time with Obama is that they can listen. <laughs> they can uh -huh. take direction they can follow the tide so to speak instead of finding more ways to make money did they uh, create the cages obama and yeah. biden they didn't separate the kids but the immigration wasn't much better before i mean there was there was the dreamers act but that 
only affected children that had already been here. Like the immigration policies from the previous administration weren't, they weren't swell either. Hmm. But, and I wasn't happy about them at the time. But looking back on it, I never knew things could get this much worse. I thought that was already the peak of how bad it could be. Was it the the wall uh, rhetoric that made it feel worse? Well, (sighs) the wall was only the beginning. I mean, referring to Mexicans, referring to, you know, any Mexican immigrant is only coming over because they're a drug dealer and a rapist. Saying that during his campaign was just like, wow, that's insane. And I remember on that day thinking, what a joke candidate. Ain't no way this guy is getting elected. (laughs) Which from there, like it really started the downward spiral of, again, realizing just how much he's, how much what he says emboldens his fan base yeah and makes people act worse let's talk about um some of the things that the protesters were saying um you know um the idea that this capitalist system is is racist um you know that uh perhaps we need to tear this whole thing down because the founders were slave owners um but you know, what, what's your take on, what's your take on the word socialism? What does that mean to you? You know, hasn't, hasn't that failed in so many places where it's been tried before? You know, why would you want to try again? And why aren't you flourishing under capitalism, you know, working in the mortgage industry? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I do not want to speak ill of the hand that feeds me, but it's, One of the most frustrating things is listening to people complain about how socialism never works when we've really never, we've never fully seen socialism at work, mostly because the United States jumps in and changes democratically elected leaders. (laughs) Well, we've seen it in other countries how it works. Have we? Sure. I mean, I mean, the fall of communism, right? Well, but that, well, socialism and communism aren't the same thing. Similar, but not the same thing. But what I mean is, it's really hard to even have that judgment when, if you look at the, the history of literally all of Latin America, is that there have been multiple attempts at different changes in or, or multiple attempts at different versions of government and the United States has jumped in every single time for their own interests. And I, I wish that was a super fun conspiracy theory, but it's really just history. So you're basically, <laughs> so you're saying that we haven't been able to see the, the true uh, benefit of socialism in Latin America because the U S has intervened every time. Basically, yeah. I mean, it's really hard. We don't have a big enough scale of whether or not it works. 
And I think that we're at a point now where we have enough history in our, you know, under our belts to look at it all and kind of figure out how to do it right. Mm -hmm. And a term that gets tossed around a lot is democratic socialist. Mm -hmm. And that's, and it's one of the reasons that Bernie Sanders was so popular. We were talking about, you know, how the Democrats keep moving further and further right. And then we have Bernie Sanders, who was an independent that was accepted by the Democrats. How is he so, going to do it different that makes you feel good about your economic future going forward? I mean, he hits a lot of points, or Bernie Sanders specifically, hit a lot of points that I genuinely cared about, you know, like working on things that we've talked about, healthcare, just especially during the time of pandemic, where suddenly people are looking around realizing, oh man, it'd be sure great if I had affordable health insurance right about now. And so many people don't, which is honestly kind of terrifying when you think about how, which, like which industries have stayed open, like food industries have stayed open and usually restaurant workers don't have enough hours <laughs> to cover healthcare. So it kind of makes you wonder like, okay, so who made my pizza tonight? Should I eat this pizza? Do I need these tacos? Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's just so much. And I think the root of socialism is basically just taking care of each other and just setting up a system where everybody goes with, or everybody in your society has their basic needs met food, healthcare, shelter, education. There's, it's, to me, it's just such a basic concept. Mm -hmm. Where will the funding come from? Nobody asks where the funding comes from for the war on terror, which John mentioned earlier, what, two plus trillion? No one mentions where funding comes from for the war on terror. No one mentions where the funding comes from for the Wall Street bailout from the 2008 financial crisis. Or even the Those, COVID bailout. No one mentions that. No one, because no one cares. Or, <laughs> well, no one making the decisions care. Right. But, I mean, it, would, it was totally fine bailing out Ford, GMC, Chevy a couple years ago. Uh-huh. No one said anything, and there were still layoffs, and their CEOs still got bonuses, and no one said anything. No one cared. Yeah. But, well, definitely the pandemic. But wanting everyone to have food, how will we pay for it? Well, definitely the pandemic, I think, will make people rethink um, uh, universal health care. Um, Trump early on was unable to repeal that. I know it's under threat again with, with uh, Barrett, but uh, definitely the, I think the pandemic is going to make people rethink um, uh, the wisdom of universal health care. Um, I mean, even Biden hasn't fully signed on to the concept of universal health care. So it's, it's kind of a terrifying time right now. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that's terrifying is, is climate change. What's your take on the Green New Deal? I mean... You think that's I, a good idea going forward? I mean, as I've said 
to you previously, I am the dirtiest of hippies. So I, in my mind, the Green New Deal is absolutely fantastic. I, I love everything about it. Gold star stickers uh -huh. all up and down those pages. Explain. Where, what are the top two or three things you like about it? I mean, it one, it moves away from a lot of our, what's the word I'm looking for? Our fuel, like fossil fuels that don't regenerate the same way, you know, solar does. I'm a big fan of solar and switching over. Um, wind power, even properly done nuclear power is all of those, any of the three, some combination thereof is still way better than fossil fuels and coal and things that are hurting us more than helping while we deplete this finite resource. So it's, it's such a terrible idea. And I think, especially with, you know, there's so many people that freak out about their jobs being lost if we remove coal, if we remove fossil fuel, like oils. But there's this almost unwillingness to understand that in moving to new power sources, that creates new jobs. Yeah, and not only that, um, fossil fuels are finite. Um, they're gonna exactly. run out. We're, we're not running out of oil totally, but we're definitely running out of cheap oil sources, and it's only gonna be a few decades. So we, we've got a very will, limited supply. <laughs> yeah, those jobs will eventually be lost anyway, and perhaps you know the media uh, spun Biden's words a little too much on that one. I mean, to me, it kind of makes more sense to start looking at these things now before they run out definitely so that you know instead of oh my god we're out now we have to figure out something from scratch immediately for us to have power it the green new deal even provides us an like a time frame to kind of ease into everything and for that change yeah so yeah, yeah. i definitely we should plan ahead yeah you're on to something there um let's talk about covid you know, because if, if Trump loses, one big reason will be because of COVID, the idea that he is responsible for 200,000 deaths. Um, I'm not so sure um, Biden would have been better, but, you know, looking back, what could have been done different? Um, is it the contact tracing? Well, I'm, I'm kind of torn in your statement that Biden could have been better because it was the Obama administration where Biden was vice president that had a complete pandemic playbook and a response team. And even though it wasn't something they'd ever dealt with, they'd sat down, they'd done the research, they had everything prepped and ready to go. And one of the first things that Trump did in office was, we don't need that. Hmm. And just threw it all out. Perhaps Biden so, should have really brought that up in the debate. There's a lot of things Biden should have brought up in the debate. <laughs> Yeah. But when can we take our masks off? You know what's funny? Like, the longer this goes on, Iris, I get mm -hmm. used to it. And I, I'm kind of dreading the, the good old days, you know, because I'm kind of used to my, my simpler life and, you know, 
keeping my distance from people. It might be a little overwhelming to to sit next to people again. <laughs> I mean, I highly recommend a social bubble. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> if you haven't already, if you haven't already gotten one, start discussing amongst your closest friends hmm. your social bubble. Um, but when when can we take our masks off and go to uh, bars freely and go to ball games freely again? I mean, because like if it, I I think eventually you know we can't. I don't know that we can shut down forever until a vaccine arrives. I think we gotta focus on how to treat people and prevent more people dying. And then if it gets to the point where it's not that deadly anymore because we know what to do about it, then we can start rethinking things. What do you think? I mean, we're still getting, you know, it's so hard to come up with anything to do because this virus is genuinely brand new. Mm. We have no experience with it like whatsoever beyond the last few months and what we've seen is a reinfection rate what we've seen is mutation um and we've seen even after getting over the virus it's hard to even say use the words long-term effects when this virus has only existed for a few months it's not even a full year yet so it's really hard to even say long-term effects but we have people that are getting over the virus but still having or still getting other issues that were caused by that illness. Um, I have to say, I kind of love wearing a mask. Yeah, because, you like the anonymity? I mean, it's really great to go through my day without having a man tell me to smile. That's pretty sweet. That is pretty <laughs> sweet. Well, we'll talk fan. about we'll talk about stuff like that in in our next episode. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's amazing. Um, uh-huh. And then you know, it it is fun being girly and having you know different masks to match my different outfits, uh-huh. and being able to kind of like put another plop of personality on my face. But I don't like the communication patterns. problems. It's so hard to even order a coffee at Starbucks anymore. I just do it on the mobile app. It's fine. Um, but, oh, I see. Okay. I mean, I see what you're getting. I, I see what you're getting at. Um, for me, I think, like, I don't think that we're going to get a vaccine anytime soon. But I'm afraid I, I it'll still, take decades. It might. I mean, we only eradicated smallpox not that long ago right and the black death took centuries to truly control it so i am concerned you know what was it we're still working on polio um Mm -hmm. we're, we're close but we're not there and to me i i mean even beyond you know all the joys i have wearing a mask i it's really hard for me to see it as a burden when there's so many immunocompromised people in my life that I have to remind myself like, oh yeah, like the chances of me getting the virus and surviving relatively unscathed are pretty high. But there's so many people in my life that that's really not how it's gonna work for them. Yeah. And so for me personally, wearing that mask to protect the people in my life is is such a non-issue. 
Okay, yeah, so you definitely see it as uh, love toward your neighbor. I, I mean, exactly. There's, you know, I have a large family and I have a decent sized group of friends and there's the realization that the realization with this pandemic is that pretty much everybody has some version of a pre-existing condition I think was way more eye-opening than it should have been mm-hmm. to a lot of people um and so I think it's I think we're, we're all we all have uh, some disease or another when you think about it when you really you know break it down to you know, when we really get down to brass tacks we've all got something right that you know makes us get up a little bit slower you know our day takes longer or whatever we've all have something which means that we all have someone that we care about that has something and i don't love you know like the way my skin has responded to wearing masks constantly my poor complexion has been suffering Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but you know, it's whatever. I buy a new face wash. I move on. I'd rather switch face washes than have someone close to me sick. Yeah. Because I was more concerned about my complexion or making sure I was heard right in any situation. I see. Um, well, we're almost done. Um, it- I mentioned, you know, do we have to tear this whole system down? Um, um, and you mentioned Hispanic, some Hispanics are supporting Trump. And I imagine part of the reason that they're supporting Trump is uh, because Trump, even though he's not um, a strongly practicing Christian, he has offered to be the ally of those that believe in traditional values. Um, you must see that as a very foolish alliance. Oh, I think it's ridiculous, especially because Biden's Catholic. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I mean, I, I would say, were I, reli- were I a religious person, I would, you know, try to stick closer to my team. But that doesn't seem to be the end game there. Do you sense that uh, that's the reason why some Hispanics are supporting Trump is because uh, of, of uh, they believe in traditional values? In all of the Latinos for Trump that I've spoken with, it has nothing to do with his religion specifically and has more to do with his stance on abortion. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a pretty big one. And it's, I don't know if it's the most educated of conclusions to come to. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, definitely, um, if you're pro-life, there's there's uh, arguably more to pro-life than just the one issue of abortion. There's also the issue of healthcare and you know social justice and racism and and the environment and things like that. Right. I I remember what was it uh, the night of the last election? I was you know stopping at a gas station, and the Hispanic woman behind the counter had an "I voted" sticker on her shirt and I was like oh yeah like are you looking forward to the results who'd you vote for just making small talk as I bought more candy than I need and she told me she's like well I voted for Trump of course because Hillary's murdering babies 
Mm-hmm. And I had to sit there and kind of just like, okay, I'm going to finish my transaction and not say anything else because that it had been spun so far to not just Hillary being pro-choice, but that she was personally murdering infants is when I kind of realized like, okay, so there's, there's a lot of misinformation and it's the kind of misinformation that you don't even really want to argue with because it's so far on one side that I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and perhaps, perhaps one way to begin would be to uh, really um, sift through what's the propaganda and what are the real facts so that at least, you know, if we're going to debate, we know what we know what we're working with and we're not... Right. We're not making assumptions based on false propaganda. Of course. But then, I mean, I try to have enough self-respect for myself to not do a deep deep dive into propaganda and conspiracy theories that have no basis in reality. Yeah. Because that's just, unless it's a horror movie, I'm super not interested. (laughs) All right. Well, final uh, topic um, is it time to alter the makeup of the Congress and Senate? And is it time to abolish the Electoral College? I would love to abolish the Electoral College. I really, really would. Um, because we're at a point right now where... But you guys we weren't have... saying you weren't saying that when Obama won two terms. No, I would have said that. Oh, you would have? He won okay. the popular vote. Uh-huh. I... I... I'm very supportive of the popular vote because I feel like it should be the majority choice instead I'm, of random representatives with random numbers assigned per state being the final name. Because at that point, why are we even having elections if the Electoral College is going to be the ultimate factor? I, the Electoral I'm with you College the... doesn't have to vote for their... Um, they don't have to vote the popular vote for their state. Oh, but they'll get so much flack if if they don't uh, do what they're uh, promised. Do you know who your electoral college representative is by name? No, but I am with you that the number of electors is not proportionate to the population of each state. So you're on, you're on to something there. Although I will support um, the popular vote if we can be have assurances that uh, there's not going to be as much voter fraud as people fear, you must probably think that's propaganda. I, yeah, yeah, voter fraud. I struggle with the voter fraud concept because I can't, I really can't find anything like that, that backs it up or at least backs it up enough to matter, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because where I see voter fraud is preventable measures uh-huh. instead of having, I mean, there's, what was it? I forget what state it was in the South where it was electronic voting and regardless of who you voted for, it automatically chose somebody else. Hmm. And it was decided that mm, we don't need to look into it any further. This guy won. It's cool. Yeah. Should we alter okay. the makeup of the Congress and Senate? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, 
I'm all about a fresh start. Just blank slate. Why let's is just that? Start, let's just start everything over. Why is that? I mean, we talked earlier about, you know, the founding fathers had, that, that wrote the entire guidelines that we go by now for our, gov- for our system of government. They could not have expected, there, there's no way they could have known what kind of society we would be in now. And I don't think that those guidelines are accurately, or are an accurate way to govern what we have now. I mean, just the basis of women and minorities can vote. People that don't own property can vote. Their minds would be blown mm-hmm. just from there. Yeah. as long, But uh, we don't want a thing now where we don't want a trend now where uh, every time somebody wins, he, he or she changes the Constitution, right? That would be a less stable system, right? Why not? Change it up. Let's well, that's why other countries are not so stable. Right. Let's keep trying <laughs> new things till we get it right. Uh-huh. Or, right. you know, maybe not entire, like, okay, fine. Maybe let's not change the entire constitution every four years. But I, I think the entire 50 states should be able to agree that there are pieces that can be changed. And even that's almost impossible to get done. Yeah. Well, um, this has been very enlightening, Iris, and uh, the election is less than a week. And uh, uh, I hope that uh, we don't lose too many of our marbles uh, next (laughs) week and that we can still be, uh, still have fun and have cool conversations and be friends. So thanks so much, Iris, and uh, I look forward to another talk. Thank you so much. And if you need me next week, I'll just be crying and eating stale Halloween candy. But give me a call. <laughs> I shall. All right. Have <laughs> All a good right. night. Have a great. You too. Bye.